So Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 is, like I said, where we're going to be picking up, finishing out this chapter, and then just do an introduction to chapter 12. Um, Last week, we never got to quite finish the verses that were speaking of the Lord's dominion. And so we want to kind of go back and look at that just a little bit more because it is extremely important to follow the timeline of what we're doing. And so just to remind you again, another review of what we've seen here in Revelation is first we've had in the first chapter, two chapters, we see a description of God. It's kind of a a scene of the courtroom being seated, the judge coming in, taking his throne. Then we got into the churches in chapter 3, and we saw that there were seven churches. I think seven literal churches, but also representing possibly the seven periods of time leading up to the last church, the last period of time before the Lord comes back, the Laodicean, lukewarm, creation-denying church. And when the seventh church happens, we then got into the seals where there was this scroll that nobody could open but God, the Lamb. And so the scroll is handed to this Lamb. The Lamb is able to open the scrolls. And then we begin seeing in chapter 6 the, what's written on those scrolls. And it seems to be the sealed judgments. So you go through the first six sealed judgments. And then during the seventh sealed judgment, it begins the trumpets. And then we go through the trumpets. And when we get to the seventh trumpet, it's going to begin the vials. The wrath of God being poured out and the end of all of it. Everything up to this point seems to be very chronological, as far as the Bible, it, it, I mean, as you read it, it even seems, you know, without any, you know, PhD degree, you can kind of say, yeah, there, there's a timeline here. This is following order. Is the vials the same as the bowls? Yes, the vials and the bowls, the same, same thing. So what we're seeing with this timeline is going to change for a little bit when we get to chapter 12. Um, 13 and 14. Then chapter 15 is going to kind of bring us back and we're going to start getting to see those vials then undone in chapter 15 and 16. And then chapter 17 and 18 kind of change again. It's almost like, as I said before, you watch a movie and there's a commercial break and you got to wait for the commercial to get over and then you pick up where you left off before. We talked about that there are those commercial breaks between the 6th and the 7th of each of these things. So between the 6th and the 7th seal, there was a commercial break of Revelation 7. And we saw the 144,000 being sealed. All of those kinds of things. And then when we got to the 6th trumpet, that commercial break, then we saw the two witnesses coming. And that's kind of where we are here finishing up this commercial break. But there's a clue here that's going to show you what's happening as it brings you back into your regular scheduled programming. All right. Here in verse 15, it says, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is at that seventh trumpet that we were looking at last week. And the kingdoms of the world 
have become the kingdoms of our Lord. Selah came up to me when we were singing here earlier, and there was that phrase in that song that said, we, to, we love the world, but you know, reject the darkness or whatever. And she says, are we supposed to love the world? And I said, well, I'll explain that later. And, and yes and no. Yes and no. We are not of this world. I mean, Jesus even says, if you love this world, you're basically going to be hated by him in essence. Um, but I think in that song, what it really means is the proper interpretation or understanding is that we are to love what God has created, that we are going to live on this world. It will be renewed. It's, it's going to be like the Garden of Eden restored. When sin was no longer there, we are going to love that. But what we hate is what sin has done, what the devil has done, what we have done to this world, the darkness in it. That's gone. When that seventh trumpet blows, the kingdoms of this world, note, have become the kingdoms of God. The kingdoms aren't gone. They become under the rule and authority of God. You're going to love the world then. You will love the kingdoms of this world. And that is remarkable to me. My wife went out to lunch with a good friend of ours here this week, somebody that I respect a great deal, and have always had a little bit of a connection with her because of the way she thinks. She doesn't think the way a lot of people think, and I don't either. And I remember saying one time that if God would take one of my children, that in essence, I would rather God take one of my children right now than grow up, they grow up and, and they you know, don't follow the Lord. I would much rather them take them right now. And that if God does take one of my children, I, I hope that I can live out what I say in that I would just trust that God knew better. And he was protecting them. And I remember years and years ago when I said that, she kind of came up and said, I agree. And a lot of people get upset with me for saying those kinds of things and whatnot. And they were talking just about, we hang on to this life so tightly. But this world is nothing to hang on to. And there are two different kinds of people out there typically. Those that are going to fight and fight and fight to stay here in this world. And those that are like, eh, if I die, I die. I know where I'm going. And I'm going to be with the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not wrong to fight to stay here if our attitude is right. If the attitude is, I want to serve the Lord. Paul said, I desire to depart and be with the Lord. Which shall I choose? I do not know. But he says that I find it important, basically, that he stayed and you know, ministered for the kingdom of God. If that's our heart, is I'm going to fight to stay here because my children still need to hear the Lord. My friends still need to hear the Lord. If you're fighting to stay here so that you can serve God, that's one thing. But if you're fighting to hang on to the kingdoms of this world because of what this world has to offer you, you might need to do a little, a little check in your spirit. Because that's not the world that we're supposed to hang on to. I cannot wait 
for this to take place. That seventh trumpet, when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of God. Now, I don't understand all of what this is going to be, but it's going to be awesome. And I kind of think what we're going to see as we continue with the chronological order, after the vials, or somewhere maybe before the vials, I don't know. But this thousand-year millennial reign, that sounds to me more like what this is. The kingdoms of the world have become the kingdom of God. And he's going to reign on earth. Then, later, after this thousand years that you'll see in Revelation 20, you're going to see Satan is going to be thrown into a pit, hell. And then there's a new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven. So, this millennial reign, I think, seems to be here before the vials take place. I don't know. I could be wrong. But because the vials, you're going to see the entire earth destroyed. The sun and moon are gone. Uh, the whole earth is burned up. Everything's just, the stars are gone. Everything. Maybe that's what the millennial reign will be like. I don't know. That he destroys this and it's just kind of, you know, newer. I don't know. But it doesn't, I don't know. It, it just doesn't sound right to me. So I think possibly that's what this is talking about. Okay? You'll have to just kind of fill in those pieces as you go. But kind of think about that. That the millennial reign, I don't get it. I'll be the first to tell you, I don't understand that one bit. All I know is what Scripture says is that it's good for those who love the Lord and that there are those that are outside that have to come and worship God and if they don't, they don't get rain. That doesn't sound like us to me. There's something weird about that. Again, I don't know. I'm just saying there's some interesting pieces, but it seems to be on an earth that is not in complete restoration yet during the millennial reign, which is why it's not until after the millennial reign, after that Satan is then forever cast into hell. Prior to that, he's only bound for this thousand years. After that, gone. After that, new city, new heaven, new earth in Revelation 21. But right now, he's still talking about kingdoms of this world that are going to be under his authority. So that's kind of how I picture what's going on here. But... Again, I, I just can't even put into words how amazing this is going to be. That is still going to be awesome. That is a world worth hanging on to if it's under complete reign and authority of God. There will be no elections <laughs> taking place there. Yeah, there will be the elect. So here are some verses um, to look at Micah 4 verse 7 says I will make the lame a remnant those driven away a strong nation the Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever forever is forever not just a thousand years so when the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of God the Lord is going to reign 
And he will reign forever, but it doesn't mean the kingdom's going to stay the same. But his reign will never end. When Satan is released, he's still in power. Satan is going to be cast into the pits of hell. God is still in power. He will never lose that authority. We read in Zechariah 14.9, The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day there will be one Lord and his name the only name. Again, this seems to be more of the millennial reign, not the new heaven and the new earth. Could be, but it seems to me to be more of this time that when the kingdoms of this world, it isn't just Jerusalem that God's going to reign over. The whole world, which is why those people who don't live in Jerusalem, if they don't obey and don't submit to the authority, they get no reign. Because God is still in control, but they're outside of the blessings that are there. Luke 1.33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So, interesting, the house of Jacob, not Judah, not Israel, but Jacob. Jacob includes all of that, Judah and Israel, all 12 tribes. But it will never end. Now, um, there are many other verses that are going to refer to this awesome day, but just wanted to give you a few to show you the eternal aspect to that. And it seems to be the saints are ruling with God at this time as well. In Mount Zion, many other verses show it to be the center of that, but not excluding the rest of the world. But the center of that authority will be Mount Zion. Verse 16 then says, And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and reigned. Now, you might see here that I have, and who is to come, in very small print. The reason I have it that way is because it's not in any translation but the King James, I believe. I think it's only the King James. Anybody else have it that's not King James? Earlier, we saw in chapter 4, verse 4, and in chapter 5, verse 8, there were 24 elders, and they fall down before the Lord, worship Him, and their praise gives us that beautiful message of the one who is and who was and who is to come. Well, the seventh trumpet has happened. The kingdoms of the world have become the kingdom of God. He no longer is the one who is to come. He's here. And I love that. I know there are King James-only people out there. I'm not one of those. I do like King James. I like to look at it for research, especially if there's a question or whatnot. But I don't believe that this belongs in there. Because he has come. He is no longer the one who is to come. And again, that just makes me go, oh, it makes my heart melt thinking about that. To be able to say the one who is and was. And not to have to look forward. I, I'm reminded of Romans when it says, who hopes for what he yet has, you know, who hopes for what he not yet has or whatever, right? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. There is a day coming that hope is gone. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. 
Why? Because love is the only one of those that is eternal. Faith will not last. Faith will come to completion. Hope will come to completion. Love goes on forever and ever and ever. It's the same kind of thing here that it's like, wow, no more faith, no more hope because we're in it. What a beautiful thing that is. So anyway, um, keep in mind again, this is at the sound of the seventh trumpet. That is fully in line with Corinthians and Thessalonians as we looked at last week, saying that at the last trump, our bodies will be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye. So not only do we see that the kingdoms of the world become the kingdom of God, but we also see there's going to be a change in you at this point. Hope is gone. Faith is gone. This mortal mortality is gone. I don't understand that fully. Again, because there are some strange verses that will talk about this millennial reign. We'll look at it when we get to Revelation 20. But for now, I think the general idea is that very thing. Is that, hey, this is... You're not experiencing it in this flesh anymore, but you're going to be experiencing it in bodily form, but without corruption to some degree anyway. Like I said, we'll talk about that more later. But this is the day that Revelation 10 verse 7 was talking about. In that time, the mystery of God will be accomplished. The mystery of God is being accomplished here. And it says, because you have taken your great power and reigned. These promises of David that there will never be lacking a descendant to sit on the throne. He will be there forever and ever and ever. Then we get to verse 18 and it says the nations were angry. I'll bet they are. Those kingdoms of the world, their power, their authority, their plans are all gone. I think of when Trump got elected. Now, do not get me wrong. I'm not comparing Trump to Jesus here. But the anger when their power they saw was taken away. That's the kind of thing we're talking about here. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. Now, earlier we've said that the six seals were man's wrath. The trumpets were more God's wrath. But here it's saying, your wrath has come. There's no question that God's wrath is, in part, in those trumpets, because it said it in Revelation there. But at this point, it is absolute 100% wrath of God, without restraint. When these vials are going to be poured out, It is awful. With the trumpets, you're going to see a third of the earth is burned. A third of the seas turn bitter. A third with the vials or the bowls, every bit of the earth is burned. Every bit of the sun and the moon and the stars and the seas. It is absolute wrath. And when we talked about how terrible it would be when we looked at the trumpets... That's nothing compared to what it is here 
The only difference is, is that wrath is 100% only on the ungodly, those that will spend an eternity in hell. But it says, the time and the time of the dead, that they should be judged. So when does judgment day take place? The seventh trumpet. At the seventh trumpet, you will stand before the Bema seat of God and you will be judged. We will actually get to see more details of this when we get to Revelation 19, 20, 21, and so on, especially 20 and 21. So what's happening is we're in the chronological order. When we get to chapter 20, you're going to have to look back at this moment because we're getting the the cliff notes here, but chapter 20 is going to be the detailed book of what's going on. But nonetheless, we see that when the seventh trumpet blows, the time for judgment, not only to judge the dead, the ungodly, send them to hell, but also that the saints will be rewarded. You should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints. A reward. Let me tell you, folks, you don't get a participation award. You're going to get rewards according to what you do on this earth. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I can show you scripture after scripture. We'll look at it when we get to Revelation 20. It is very clear that you are going to be rewarded according to your works. Not saved by your works, rewarded by your works. And there is a huge difference between those two. Your works will never save you. But as I've said many times, and I want you to think about it again, how are you investing your life here now? I was talking with my wife this morning about this, in that that idea of hanging on to this life. We're talking about a lady who just wants to hang on. She's in her 90s, but doesn't want to let go. And we're saying, why? And again, we were talking about what I mentioned months ago in relation to the idea that um, God has given us time for us. We've got this theology that I have been a big supporter of that it's all about God. It's all about God, you know, not us. And I agree with that to a point. But what God is about is about us. And the time he has given you isn't for him. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me because I said, you know, sometimes I think people want to hang around because my kids need me, like I said before. That's good. That's a good motive. But let me tell you, your kids don't need you. You are not, re- uh, not irreplaceable. God said, I could make stones. These stones cry out. If God wants you to believe in him, he doesn't need me to get that message to you. He can bring a donkey. And probably the donkey would do a better job. We aren't that irreplaceable. So God doesn't need me. We need God. But God gives us this time, not because he needs us, but because he loves you. 
And he says, I want you to be the best you can be because I get to reward you later. I want to give you the first prize. I want to give you the blue ribbon. I don't want to give you the white ribbon. And I think about that with my children. That sometimes I had, like when there was discipline going on or I didn't want to discipline my kids, I'd give them a little extra time to come around. In a sense, I think that's what God's doing is he wants to reward us. In the time he has given you on this life, every day that you have is a day to invest in that reward or to just live life for this world, the kingdom of this world, for you yourself. And what you do with that time will be rewarded or ignored later. You won't be punished. Christ has taken that. But you will be rewarded for the good. Those who, Daniel puts it this way, those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. Well, what about those who don't lead many to righteousness? They're going to shine like those that you just see out of your peripheral vision, I suppose. Okay? They'll be there. But the point is, is there are rewards. And if you are living for God, you will be rewarded greatly. So, um, what we're seeing here is, it says, finishing out this verse, you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Now, he's not talking about global warming stuff here. But he says, those who fear your name, small and great, and that God is going to destroy those who destroy the earth, those on the earth, who, who literally are destroying the earth. You know, the Bible says when there were innocent blood was shed, that the land would vomit them out. It isn't the worrying about how many floral carbons or what your carbon footprint is that you need to worry about on the earth. What you should be worrying about is the wickedness that is brought into this earth because the earth does groan. Romans says that the earth is groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to this present time, waiting for the adoption of sons to take place so that it might be liberated from its bondage to decay. You see, sin, wickedness, does destroy this earth in a very literal way. So that's more what this is talking about here. And so when God comes, he is going to be the avenger of blood. You remember in the book of Numbers, we read about the avenger of blood, and it says this in chapter 35. You can go look at there's this whole huge section of chapter 35 that talks about it. But... When they were going into the promised land, if you had accidentally killed somebody, you know, you, you, your axe head flew off, it hit them in the head, and they were dead. Well, the brother of the guy that you just killed could be very angry and said, you did that on purpose or whatever and, and want to come and kill you. It says, they will, there will be places of refuge from the avengers so that a person accused of murder may not die before he stands trial before the assembly. And if you stood trial and you were innocent, 
You could be in one of these cities of refuge and the avenger of blood could not kill you. You were safe. But if you were guilty, well then the avenger of blood was the one that was supposed to come and kill you. So very different whether you were innocent or guilty. And again, that's what you read in Numbers chapter 35. Well, what's interesting about that is Jesus is going to be not only our city of refuge, but he is going to also be the blood avenger. As long as we remain in Messiah, are you going to be innocent? Yes. Okay, you are innocent. You're standing before the judgment seat. The seventh trumpet blows, you're going to be judged. You're found innocent because of the blood of Jesus. All right? So that means you get to remain in Messiah. You're safe. But if you are found guilty because you're not in Messiah, then he becomes the blood avenger as well. Numbers 35, 19, it says, The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. Psalm 110, speaking of the Lord in verses 6 and 7, says, He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the way, therefore he will lift up his head. God is going to judge the nations. Revelation 6 said, They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? You see this? When God brings wrath on the nations, when he brings these vials, this isn't out of injustice. This is out of justice. This is well-earned. In Deuteronomy 32, he says, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. Paul quotes that in Romans. He says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. He says, Remember God's wrath. It is mine to avenge, says the Lord. So, we read in Isaiah 35, verse 4, Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. Perfect verse for people who are scared of revelation. If you're a believer, do not fear. Be strong. God's coming. Why? Because he's going to reward you. He's bringing vengeance on the enemy. As I said, judgment is a good thing if you're on the right side of the law. He's going to come to save you. So, justice, not cruelty, is what's taking place here. He is the avenger of blood, and what these saints were crying out there in Revelation 5 and 6, those that were slain before the altar, how long, O Lord? Their prayers are being answered. This is answered prayers, not, not ungodliness, not cruelty. But we are the victim, and those who kill the saints... You know, the victim, us, they are the ones that need to fear. You know, the Lord says, do not touch my anointed. That's far beyond a pastor of a church. If any, if, if Satan goes after any of the saints, our avenger of blood is coming after him. And so he is our kinsman redeemer. That's what a kinsman redeemer would do. 
So anyway, um, th these are some good verses to kind of think about in relation to that. Numbers 35, 28 then says, The accused must stay in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. Only after the death of the high priest may he return to his own property. So you stayed there, leaving before the time, you know, before the trial, before judgment, you were putting your life in danger. This is why each and every day we pray to the Lord and to walk in his ways, because if you leave Messiah early, you're in trouble. Okay? The death of the high priest is what canceled the blood redeemer's right to come and exact vengeance on you. And so today, as believers in Christ, Jesus, we know, as Hebrews clearly tells us, was our high priest. And when he died, he then erased all of our debts. He erased all of our guilt. You're no longer guilty because the death of the high priest. So he is not only the city of refuge, he is not only the avenger of blood, but he is also the high priest. He is all of it there. Anyway, getting back to verse 19, and this is a very important verse for our timeline. It says, then. Then is a word that seems to imply after this, right? After what? After the seventh trumpet blows, after the time for judgment to take place, the, you know, to make a ruling for rewarding the saints. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven. Ark, the Ark of His Covenant was seen in His temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. So I've got those four things listed there, all of what's going on in this one verse. The temple is opened. You see the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, remember, is God's presence. So you're going to see God's presence there. Then you see lightnings, rumblings, thunder, earthquake, and hail. Those are the four things that take place after the seventh trumpet. All right? Very important to see that. Because, as I said, chapters 12 through 14. Yeah, go ahead. The covenant that we have yeah. here on earth has been put up there. Is this that thing, or is it what the ark here was modeled after? That is a good question, and I would tend to think it's what it was modeled after. Because everything that the tabernacle was on earth is a picture of what is in heaven. Just like the most holy place is that new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven and so on. And so I think that this is literally the most holy place, the temple of God in heaven. So more what the earthly one was a picture of, which is a very good question there. So like I said, chapters 12 through 15 are going to be kind of out of order of sort. Chapters 12 through 14 and into 15 a little bit is going to be looking back at what we've already read. So we're going to have to try and figure out where that all takes place, you know, in what we're done, what we've read already. But so far we've done a really good job of keeping chronolo chronological order here. And the key to understanding this there is in verse 19, that word then, showing after the seventh trumpet. So what I want to do here is I'm going to compare this list of four things that you see here 
to Revelation 15, verse 5, jumping ahead into Revelation 16, which basically just is Revelation 5 or 15 is extremely short. So it's just a continuation going all the way into chapter 16. And what you're going to see is that the seven vials or bowl judgments are poured out in chapter 16 there. But we're not recorded, they're not recorded here, but they're happening right here in this line. So just like we're going to have to punch these other things back into what we've read, this is the cliff note version. You're going to get more details of why the thundering and the earthquake and all of these things are taking place. Let me show you what I mean by that. These four things, I've got them listed here on the bottom for you as well again. When we get into chapter 15, verse 5, after we get through these things that we're going to discuss in chapter 12, 13, 14, kind of another commercial break type thing, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. So the temple is opened, and you see the tabernacle of the testimony. That's another phrase that is often used for the Ark of the Covenant, in essence. Out of the temple came the seven angels having seven plagues. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God. His presence is there. From his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So nobody gets to go into the temple, which is a picture of heaven, until the seven plagues are over. There are seven vials. Then chapter 16 just keeps going, and it describes the seven bold judgments that we will look at later. And then in verse 18, after the seventh vial is finished, the seventh bowl is poured out, it says immediately after that seventh bowl was poured out, there's lightning, rumblings, thunder, a severe earthquake, and hail. The exact same things in this list is what we see at the end of the vile judgments being poured out. Does that make sense? We're reading it here, but then the vials are going to be poured out. We just don't get to read it here. But when it's done, this is what you read, the exact same thing, showing us that our chronological order of the seven churches, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and then the seven vials is not out of order. It is still following. But we have to look at a commercial break before we can get back to it. All right? Um, after it's done, after those vials are poured out, then the temple will be open again and it's open for business. That's going to be a beautiful time there as well. So one way to put it is this. In chapter 11, verse 19 that we just read, we have from A to Z, skipping the middle of the alphabet. But in chapters 15, verse 5 through chapter 16, verse 21, we have A to Z with all the details being in there. Okay, Kind of same thing that happens in the book of Daniel. When you read Daniel, you see all these visions that he has. There are different visions. You see one of a statue. Then you see these four beasts. And then you see another one with four different animals. Every one of those are the same thing, but told in different ways. But as time goes on, what you see is that Babylon is included in the first, the, the statue, 
But later we don't see Babylon included because it has already fallen at that time and whatnot. And so same thing told in different ways, skipping pieces and in other places giving other details in there. So here it is, that verse again, then the temple of God was opened in heaven. Ark is seen there in his temple. There were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake and great hail. So uh, just to hopefully put all of that together to give you that timeline that's important to follow. This uh, continues the theme that we have been following all this time. And then we just to close out this part of this chapter, Jeremiah 3, 16 through 17 says this, and this is just in relation to the Ark of the Covenant. In those days, when your numbers have increased greatly in the land, declares the Lord, men will no longer say the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. He will never enter their minds or be remembered. He will not be missed, nor will another one be made. At that time, they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. There's a day coming when the Ark of the Covenant not only will it not be missed, it won't even be remembered. Why? Because I think what we just saw, and kind of going with Jordan's comment, the real thing will be there. We don't need a replica anymore. The real throne of God, the real mercy seat, the real presence of God, not to say that God's real presence wasn't there on earth, but the fulfillment of what it was foreshadowing is going to be there. You're not going to care about these earthly ones anymore and that's pretty awesome in my mind so there are all kinds of arguments as far as where the ark of the covenant is and that kind of thing um i don't think it matters that's not the prize that's not what you should be focused on so what's that yeah yeah so the ark, again, was kept in the most holy place of the tabernacle. We see in Second Chronicles 5, verse 7, which was symbolic of heaven and God's presence. And that explains then, obviously, as I just said, why it you know, remains in heaven and why it would not be missed. One little side note, I was talking with Eden here this week, and it was kind of interesting, she was talking about sapphires and she was asking me why sapphires foundations when God when it, Moses goes up the mountain and the elders <coughs> to see the Lord it says under his feet was a pavement like sapphire clear as the sky itself this is when they go up and then God cuts out of stone the ten commandments and she said, have you ever heard that the Ten Commandments were written on sapphire? And I said, no. And she said, apparently the Jews say that they may have been written on sapphire. I said, well, I had never heard that. And she said, and it makes sense because Moses goes up to see the Lord. What do they see? Him standing on sapphire. He then takes stone that he cut out and gives it to them. And so the very foundation of what he was standing on could possibly be made out of sapphire. Okay, Then we go and we see it's in the breastplate. We see in Revelation it's part of the foundation of the stones. Yeah, And not only that, but I said, and also when you go to the Ark of the Covenant, what is in the Ark of the Covenant? In the very presence of God. In the most holy place you had the cherub. Why? Because the cherub are always at his throne. 
in the Ark of the Covenant, which is the mercy seat, the throne, the seat of God, what would be the foundation? Well, what's in the Ark of the Covenant? The tablets, the Ten Commandments, possibly made out of sapphire. Aaron's staff that budded, the Holy Spirit, right? And a gold jar of manna. Not a glass jar, not a stone jar, a gold jar of manna. What are, what's the streets and all of that? Gold. It makes sense that quite possibly the Ten Commandments should be a gem written, you know. Yeah. So anyway, chapter 12, we're just going to, I'm going to, all I'm going to do is show you the chiastic structure of this. And then next week we're going to dive into it. I think chapter 12 is fascinating. When I was preparing for this, chapter 12 is another reason why I thought, oh, I'm excited to do Revelation. I think you're really going to enjoy chapter 12. Anyway, um, it is going to be, if you remember our chiastic structure, I'll show you in a moment, chapter 12 was the middle, the focal point. So it is kind of interesting that our chronological timeline stops right now. And there's this focal point of chapter 12. So if you do have your Bibles, it might be good to open it to see this a little easier in chapter 12. Um, throughout Revelation, we see two groups of people three different times. Revelation 7, Revelation 12, and Revelation 14. And that group of people are the 144,000 and everybody else. Those two groups. We're going to maybe make some sense of that in chapter 12. Who are these people? So here is that chiastic structure. Remember, it's like A, B, C, D, D, C, B, A. That they meet in the middle. So for example, Revelation 1.1, looking at the entire book of Revelation, you see... Uh, it says, to his servants, he showed them the things which must shortly take place. But yet, Revelation ends to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. In chapter 2, he rebukes and the, the promises, and, and he rebukes and then gives promises to those who overcome. That's important. These overcomers. To he who overcomes. He who overcomes. It says that over and over. Okay? That'll be important next week. But in chapter 21, we see the fulfillment of the promise that he said. He who overcomes, I'm going to give you this. Well, he gives it to them in chapters 21 and 22. Theme three there for C. In chapter four, we see the sealed judgments opened. But in chapter 17, the opposite end of it, we see the judgments are now ending. The vile judgments end. Theme 4, D, in green. In Revelation 7, we see the reward for the good, the seven trumpets, and the seven thunders for the bad people. In Revelation 14, we see the same thing. There's a reward for the good, punishment for the bad. Theme 5, in blue, we see in Revelation 11, the two witnesses. In Revelation 13, the, the antithesis, the two beasts. Remember, Satan, always, there's two witnesses for the good, two beasts for the bad. And then right smack dab in the middle, between chapters 11 and 13, is here in yellow, chapter 12. So we look at that chiastic structure in chapter 12. Let's just dissect this. This is what I want you to see if your Bibles are open. This is pretty fascinating. 
Theme one, we can look here at chapter 12, verses 1 and 4. Now, I've tried to color code this to make it easy to understand. The opposite end of that, of theme one, is then going to be found in chapter 12, verse 17. So, the book ends. And what we see here are similarities. Now, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet. But at the end of the chapter, there was a dragon was enraged with the woman. The woman is talked about again. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. Well, at the beginning of the chapter, it says that on her head was a garland of 12 stars, then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain gave birth. So this woman gives birth. At the end of the chapter, Satan's going after the offspring. All right. And it says, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, the great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Well, at the end of the chapter, who's going after the woman? It is this dragon. The dragon was enraged. So you can see the same themes at the beginning and at the end of the chapter. So let's just move in a little bit closer at this and we'll look at theme number two. Picking up with verse, uh, what is this, uh, verse four, second half of verse four. The dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God and his throne. So the dragon stands before the woman and then the child is caught up to the throne. At the, moving towards the end of the chapter, the other book ends, so the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. So on the first part, you're seeing the dragon is standing there, waiting. On the second part, you're getting more details. What's he doing? He's waiting to spew out water to go after. This is how he's going to go after that woman. But the woman is spared. Okay, the child is caught up to God to his throne. Yet, in verse 16, the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. So how is this woman, or this child, protected? More details. Bringing it into theme, theme number three, starting in verse six, the woman fled into the wilderness where she has been placed prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. But verse 14, the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness. So both places, the wilderness, where she is nourished. The earlier verses said where she would, been, you know, where they will feed her. And then for a time, times, and half a time, rather than 1,260 days from the presence of the serpent. So again, everything is matching up as you follow these themes to a focal point. Same pattern. So here's theme D, or theme four, I should say, uh, and that picks up in verse seven through nine. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer, so the great dragon was cast out. 
That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Okay, verse 10, kind of the opposite side of it. The accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Same thing. Green matches up with the green. Where it said the dragon and his angels fought, they did not prevail. Here in verse 11 says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. Why didn't they prevail? Why didn't the dragon prevail? Because the saints overcome by the word of the testimony. Um, no place was found. The dragon was cast out. It says, for the devil has come down to you. He was cast out of heaven. He was cast to the earth. His angels were cast out with him. It says in verse 13, now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth. We're getting details that it's not just the dragon, but demons as well. So anyway, the point being is you can see some order to this. And what you see in the beginning is explained in greater detail in the end. Now that's just chapter 12. When you look at all of Revelation, you see the same kind of thing taking place. Jordan? So when you bring that in and you keep narrowing it down, the focal point of the whole book of Revelation is chapter 12. The whole focal point of chapter 12 is right here. Chapter 12, verse 10, the very first part. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Kind of neat how it all just focuses in right there on Christ. So that is the main theme of this chapter. This is what he's trying to point us to. Now, what we're going to see next week, the woman, the dragon, the man-child, the rest of her offspring, the warfare between the woman and the seed, these are the events that we saw here in chapter 12. Those are what we're going to identify. Who are they? When is this happening? What is going on? And that's what chapter 12 is going to be about, but we will not get into that tonight. This is where I want to stop. Um, just kind of an introduction to chapter 12. But hopefully the timeline is continuing to make sense.